you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. During COVID, and uh, I I haven't invested in those, so I just, you know, it, it's not that... Uh, Let's put it this way. All that, all that investing that I've been doing with the idea of don't worry, it will do well over the course of three to five years. Uh, I'm going to need that three yeah. to five years. Right now, well, it's, I'm, 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 I'm still way up, but I'm not ever ascending like I had been. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, well, and, you and I make should have sold it out and moved to the beach. <laughs> That's what well, you know. What's funny is I kind of don't want to do that. I don't want to be out of the market and I don't want to arrange things trying to capture. The timing of the market. Every investment book you've ever read is, it's impossible to do that. And especially even though I'm semi-knowledgeable and semi-canny about what's available and patterns to find and so forth, I'm nowhere near the guy with the Bloomberg terminal sitting on their desk with instant access to information. And not only instant access, but a team of analysts that are looking at every single thing about the world and saying, you know, um, pork belly futures really do have an impact on, uh, you know, uh, solar panels that are being produced by this company. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to take the long-term view of thinking I got an early, I held on to it. Like, you know, it's kind of funny. Everybody kind of adopts the little slogans that they hear from the people that they hang around with, if you will. And the more that I regularly, take in things from the Motley Fool or Tradesmith or various other places, one of the things I really like is time in the market really matters more than timing the market. You can make big mistakes and you can go crazy and you can just uh, doing options and anything that's based on trying to predict where the future is going to be, in in especially in the short term versus the long term. It's like sitting down at the casinos in Vegas and not where you've sat down and you've memorized how to be a card counter in blackjack and you get a half percent edge on the house. You know what I mean? I There's ways of doing fundamental analysis that really let you know who are the companies that are going to do good things over the next 10 years because they are going to cure this disease or build out solar power or um, have better cyber crime monitoring and prevention. And I like reading those stories and I like creating that future, but you know, that's the future, not the next quarter. Right, right. So it's, it's. There are people that do that. They sit there all day uh, buying a little bit of this, selling some of this, you know, in constant, but you have to sit there all day staring at, I mean, some of these people start getting edgy if they have to get up to run to the bathroom and, you know, they're up at 6 a.m. and, you know, it's 11 at night. They're like, well, hold on, just, you know, 10 more minutes. I want to make sure, you know, to get that That's extra right. 10 cents or whatever. Yeah, it's it's just it's a, a very different way of looking at the world that I want to get little nicks uh, on on $500 bets. And if I go up, you know, uh, 30 bucks on 500 and, and that immediate gratification type thing, it's like some people love doing that. And if I can do that 10 times, then I don't make 30, I make 300, I make 3000. Right. And, and I kind of get that, but it really seems like 
you're not building anything. You're not participating in the market. You're not giving good, uh, smart, diligent people the money that they need, the capital they need to bring their idea to fruition. You're just kind of like a scavenger. You're picking all these little bits and you're, and it's not, you're not harming anybody necessarily. You're supplying liquidity to the market. But, and, and I guess there really is a skill to being able to do all those little, um, premonitions that say, I'm pretty sure this is going up. And so I'll put in an option. I'll put a, I'll, you know, I'll do my calls and puts saying within reason, this is going to go up or down and you, you can make money doing that. But way long ago, before I started to do more active investing so much for most of my career, I bought the S and P 500 index and I let it grow. You know what I mean? You're going to, the market, the world will continue over the course of time. They have all the good charts that say, that's what the world does. It does create wealth. And if you just buy the market, you'll get steady 8% a year. And it might be that, you know, there's slight fluctuations in that. But what can I do? Sleep at night. Right. I'm going to make 8% instead of 20%, instead of 40, life. 60, 80%. Yes, you're not chained to your phone. Sell, sell. You know what I mean? And, and it's, I really, the fact that I'm not willing to do that a little bit more as a career you know what I mean? That I'm, I'm a more active investor than I ever have been. I'm really drinking in information every day and making choices and so forth. But even then, I'm not in and out of stocks. I'm picking which ones I want to be in with the idea of this is a good story. This story is going to take a long time to play out. You know what I mean? Right. I need it, all 10 episodes, not one good episode. There's humanitarian <laughs> in it, not just money investment. Uh, honestly, it really matters to me. You know, I, I have never invested in vice. I've never even invested in things where it just seems to be like the people that are making money doing this, are they really making the world better or is it frivolous almost? Whereas I really like the idea that, um, like I said, if we're trying to save the world climate change wise, um, Alternate energy sources are going to be a big part of that. And there's multiple aspects of that. You have to have better ba batteries. You have to have more efficient solar panels. You have to have more efficient transmission so that it's not, wow, we have a whole bunch of solar power in the middle of the desert. How do we get that to LA? How do we get that to right. Milwaukee? You know what I mean? Right. And so I like being able to approach that from, yeah, there's, there's like multiple ways to win that game and that we're going to need all those ways. Like, you know, Liquid natural gas is no matter only coming to your home. Now they have the liquid natural gas buses. And then when the federal government says we're changing everything to either, you know, uh, uh, a more efficient source or a less polluting source or actually going electric. I like I like that somebody already has been working on the technology that makes that possible. Right. right. And the next technology that's going to make that possible is we build a smarter grid. Somebody's doing all those monitoring devices and all the automatic switches that are going to say, we'll never have a blackout like we had on the whole Eastern seaboard again, because right. we've gotten smarter about a tree can't take out civilization. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we've compartmentalized and we've put in appropriate smart supports for, it, it, wow. <laughs> it sounds like a uh, Pixar story, doesn't it? <laughs> It really does. You know, the first 10 minutes will be showing the Rube Goldberg machine right. of coincidences that had to happen that a squirrel drops a nut, the nut right, hits a bear right. on the head, roar, he says. You know what I mean? I, I can see that as a Pixar story. Some squirrel does something, the tree falls over, knocks out the eastern seaboard, and then you have all these furry animals rushing to save humanity and right. power back. <laughs> or kind of saying, boy, it sure is peaceful without yeah, all those exactly. humans. Maybe we should do this like like clockwork, actually. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now they mobilize. <laughs> the, the, exactly. The invisible saboteurs are all the little woodchucks all around us. You know? Squirrel exactly. army. There's our next t-shirt. Squirrel army. <laughs> Squirrel army. You know, speaking of humanitarian, did you hear <laughs> Bill and Melinda are getting divorced? Honestly, that was a bolt from the blue for me. Yeah. I, I don't tend to follow celebrity type things, gossipy type things. And I, I, I don't, I didn't know how well their wedding was going, except that it sure seemed to have legs. They've been married for 27 years. Yeah. They had children. They brought their children to adulthood. They seemed to take, like, I don't know, what are the signs of a successful marriage that you do things together? And, and maybe some of the things they did were so high powered well, that there was still stress associated with it. But, yeah. I, you know, here, here's my, my wonderment though. Bill yeah. obviously is a genius. I mean, there's yes. really no denying that. What level? Who knows for sure? Um, but he's one of the big ones up there. Yes. And he obviously seems to have some autistic traits that go along with that. We've talked about that before, that a lot exactly. of smart people have autistic traits to some degree, sometimes right. stronger. That's right. In order to get that level of focus that lets you do some of those things, you have to be like gifted in right. that way, but then it also has sometimes other consequences, maybe even right. a cost. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if she just couldn't put up with some of that anymore. Cause it, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I think I, there are times I have some of those and I know Gina would attest to that. You know, woo, yeah. Uh, that there okay. are just certain okay. things that she's like one of these days, you know, she's just like, I know that's you, but man, it's annoying and aggravating, you know, after a while, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and I got two things with that actually. Number one, Happy Star Wars Day, which may the fourth be with yes, you exactly. Also, my anniversary. So, uh, oh, good for what planning? What perfect planning? <laughs> she Very did that. Good. That was her choice. Actually. Okay, <laughs> um, but I was thinking about the whole autistic thing, and I don't know where the idea came from. Maybe watching X Files. You know, we have all these uh, things where they talked about the aliens and they were cloning them, and you know, all sorts. What if people who have autism are the alien hybrids that, that those are the ones that they've made from the alien dna <laughs> you know it's so that x-files did portray that well that once in a while in order to be really i don't know unemotional or obsessive or uh, not only negative traits, you know, in order to be able to figure out a big puzzle, you have to have something that lets yeah. your brain kick into a higher gear than most people. Um, I think I might've mentioned this. I just, fi I finished the Frankenstein series by Dean yeah. Koontz. And one of the things it portrays well is in, in Victor Frankenstein trying to create, um, new men, you know, a better part of humanity. He wants it to be, well, let's try it without emotion. And then you find out that that really is a, a base part of humanity. That you have to have empathy. You have to, or at least to be, not just indistinguishable from human and better than human, but like to survive your own success. You know what I mean? So, and they, and they had other aspects of that where um, people that have incredible focus, if what they get focused on is everything must be orderly, all of a sudden they're cleaning all the time. And I know that that seems like embracing a stereotype, but, and that's probably how he wanted to portray it was maybe some way to understand how people that have that, that have to check the stove three times or clean all the time, or they say certain things. And, and, and for instance, when you, I have friends that when you say a certain reference, they have a story about that. Yeah. And no matter how many times you trigger that, they will say the same story. It's just kind of like a stimulus response thing. And, and that's how some of these were is that uh, they really had, um, a very a perfect way to respond, 
but then they had no creativity to look for another way of responding when right. perfect, even that wasn't going to work because situations had changed. And so, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a, a minor, uh, not even a minor, it was a very interesting way of him dealing with, if you have someone trying to create better humanity, exactly what would you emphasize and what would you cut out right. and, instead and, of that we're and, really this wonderful, you know, 17-layer right. cake and it takes all 17 layers. Exactly. <laughs> Arguably, that's taking your 17 layers and making 17 separate people where each one is best in one layer. It's, like that. It's funny you kind of say it that way because on Star Wars Day, they dropped yeah. – uh, Bad Batch, which is the new Clone Wars cartoon on Star Wars. Interesting. I didn't um, know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. it's, it was good. I mean, if you watch the old Clone Wars cartoon, this is really kind of like season eight. It takes place right at the end of episode three. Um, and Interesting. it's about okay. uh, uh, an, a squadron of clones who are deviants, that they had deformities, so they're different than all the rest. And it's interesting okay. because what they really turn out to be is like the old Voltron or Battle of the Planets, where they had five members and each one had a certain person. You had the big, strong guy. The, the right, short, but they were specialized as yes. opposed to being being identical. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that's what yeah. these guys are. I mean, they literally could have been the Voltron force. It was, you know, the, the five funny. characters of that, the, the stereotypes, the big strong guy that is dumb and makes you laugh when he talks, the smart right. tech guy, the leader, <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, we watch that today, but, and it's interesting, you know, like with the autism, when you have a team, if you have that one guy that can focus and do that one thing, well, now you know who does that. But then you still need that other guy that's talking to people. You need that other guy that's doing that's all this right. research. You know, it, so the alien you know, hybrids, maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it, if it turns out that the aliens are like, let's create specialized, I don't know, they might, if, if the minute that they introduce the idea of a hive mind, you know, like that's the, the, the ideas of insect kingdoms are very relegated into these are drones and all they are is drones and these are here's the queen and here's the people that make the royal jelly for the queen and that they they all kind of know their role so almost like a human caste system so that we yeah. really did embrace that for generations if not thousands of years well you find out that there's always deviations in each of those things that someone needs to be able to break out of that if they show that they have multiple characteristics and i don't know gattaca there's been a number of science fiction movies that talked about that, that the ideal situation for humanity would be you take tests like in utero or when you're first two or four years old, and then they kind of route you on your path. And well, what if those tests only have certain parameters that they can, they can't envision someone that has not only one characteristic, but multiple characteristics, and right. that the combination of things, the synthesis is actually a very powerful, important thing. And I, I think that because I have multiple ways in which my weird smarts evidences itself. And I kind of think of it as like, I have alter egos, I have different hats I put on, I have different powers that I bring to bear. But it isn't that uh, I see everything only as um, a nail because I am a hammer. I think that I have multiple ways of approaching things. And then it's very, um, like willing, I, I say, <clears throat> hmm, my default problem solving approach is not working. Don't obsess don't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results a definition of insanity try something different and if you don't know what else to try at least try something different yeah. the fact that you have the ability to step outside of yourself is a really important thing for creativity and just experience of life 
You know and, what I mean? And, so and just from my <laughs> thinking, my experience, and this is nowhere scientific or anything, but that what you just said, you know, this isn't quite working. Maybe I should do something else, look at it a different way. That switch to be able to change the way you're thinking is yeah. probably one of the things that keeps you from being classified as autistic. Because I think I just, and I, again, I yeah. could be wrong and I may have people correct me, but just the couple people I know that are autistic, they don't have that as much. I've just that particular thing you notice that this is how we solve it. We do it every time, you know, and it's step by step. They're almost programmed. Uh, and it's funny you say the I high see five. That. It's funny yeah. you say the hive mind thing too, because they point that out in the Bad Batch episode, because all the other clone troopers are programmed to follow the orders no matter what. And that's why they right. kill all the Jedi. These guys, because of their deviants, they don't have the programming. So they're like questioning, this isn't right. And that's, you know, they right. go off the run. <laughs> so, and is, is free will like, a coding error or is it actually something you put into someone right. in order to have it be so they can get past you know i did a lot of stuff as i might have mentioned with artificial intelligence and one of the things that that we talk about when you're really deep in the conferences in the fields is you have traps within artificial intelligence you have certain heuristics that you put together and they um they operate very efficiently but sometimes you hit a local maximum that is satisfying enough for your success conditions that you kind of can't break out of it without doing something radical, introduce a mutation or change your success conditions in a way that you couldn't just start off with the higher success conditions because it would perturb ways that the system would like never get to a solution or that it, you would find false solutions. So it isn't only that you have to be able to, from the onset, um, figure out how you're going to solve something and then just go do it. You have to build in those feedback loops that say, okay, ordinarily this thing takes 40 steps to solve. I've hit a good solution, but I, from my understanding of situations like this, where there's this many variables and I should be able to find a solution this many steps, but also the solution should be higher. The, the value of the win should be higher. So where am I getting screwed up and what's the, right. um, and, and sometimes it's like, how can I program into that? Sometimes all you want to do is introduce some randomizing factor that just is a little kick, a little <laughs> thing to say, try something different. And then it, it breaks out of that pattern, or you'll see that things will continually, I don't know, from having run many generations of many things, you you humanize them. You can see, okay, this uh, way of approaching this problem was kind of lazy. It got to a good enough solution quickly. And then it sat there. It didn't need to optimize. It didn't need to maximize. It just said, ah, this will do. You know, it's the duct tape and, and pipe cleaner solution. Right. But if you really want to say what's the best for all the uses of the resources in this situation, you kind of have to wave, how do I know I've maximized? Because then it's, if it perpetually tries to get better, it really could be that it's um, incremental advancement, but also diminishing returns, and it will never stop. It'll, it'll, the asymptote will go down towards that, you know, x-axis, and it'll be, oh, I can, I can eke a little more out of this, but, but you're taking <laughs> ten thousand steps instead of forty. I can't wait. I need a solution in an hour. I can't give you ten. Hours. Right. So it was very cool to think about how things think, about how you build in feedback loops or how you satisfy versus satisfice. And your ending conditions were often a very important choice that it wasn't give me the absolute best or give me just enough. You kind of continually played with looking at the problem and saying, I really want a eh, 75% of the way to the best solution here. And and then, then you get inspired. Well, if I could make it to 75, could I make it to 80? Right. And you look for whether it gets 
like if it gets linear versus geometrically harder and you use math and statistics to say, all right, I seem to be going towards diminishing returns. And sometimes you don't even, the coolest thing about those systems was you couldn't always be the um, planner, the intruder, the designer that would figure it out. You try to build in something into the system that itself is aware of, I can do better. I should be able to do better. I, I have past awareness that it's not just kind of like um, starting over each thing, tabula rasa. You kind of try to give it experience. And sometimes, you know how that is. You, like you, you, you run a race and you say, you know, I think I got a little bit more in the tank. I think I can do better. And you couldn't explain to somebody. You couldn't quantify. You couldn't, you know, you just say, ah, I, I'm not satisfied yet. Right. <laughs> and maybe that changes between Tuesday and Friday. You know, Friday, I'm looking forward to knocking off. So this is good enough for today. Right. <laughs> you know and what I, I mean? Think, so <laughs> I think the autistic trait of that is not knowing when to stop, not knowing when your effort isn't enough. And I, and I know that's not defining every autistic trait or everybody with autism. Um, right. You know, it's that just I, I want a little more, a little more. I can do more. Work on it again. Keep, fo- you know. Um, and that's exactly. just one of the things. And so the one thing I've wondered uh, with this is oh, oh, you were talking about evaluation and analysis. That yeah. is one of the skills that gets you into Mensa. You know, that's one I of the things so. they really look at. Yeah. Um, if anything, being able to step outside of a situation and have the monitor function, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this is kind of weird. Often while I'm working on something, I'm kind of looking at myself doing it. And like, are you running blue green? Are you running nice and cool? Or are you running hot and overreacting? And like, what are you missing here that would help you get into that effortless flow state of mind? Is it distractions from outside or is there something about this system that is just so quirky that it's disturbing in, in itself, in and of itself. It's right. got oddments, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, <laughs> so here, here's the question. Is having autism or the autistic traits or whatever, are yeah. they deformities or deviants of what's quote-unquote normal, or are they the evolution of where we're going? Uh, you know, two different ways of looking at it. Right. I, I'll tell you, right, I'd say in the last 20 years is the time that we have – as a society, started to say it isn't only a a, a a detriment to you. You know what I mean? That now they they talk about people who are um, autistic is kind of a superpower. That that a lot of what you might have seen that we didn't call it that in uh, um, Nash being able to do incredible encryption in his brain in the yeah. in the intuitive leaps that an Einstein or a, a Feynman or whoever else might be able to have made that there is something to be said for. It's because they um, had that ability to hold more things in working memory. And I guess yeah. these are kind of forms of intelligence, but that goes towards um, Asperger's and, and um, autism that there, maybe there's a little bit of a sacrifice, but it's not so debilitating. Like, I don't know, Mozart, a lot of genius behaviors. Yeah. You know, he he couldn't stop himself from swearing. He had very many multiple immature things almost um, sorry, what's the uh, Tourette's? Tourette's? You know what I mean? At least that's how they portrayed it in the movie, but I think I've read about that as well. But in exchange for that, he was writing symphonies at six. Yeah. So his ability to immerse himself in the world of music and to not only do um, beautiful things he had heard before perfectly, but to be able to do innovations. One of the ways in which they knew Bobby Fischer was a chess genius was he wasn't just going by book. He continued to have what they call brilliancies. People have played certain openings, as you know, 
hundreds of thousands of times. And he'd be the guy that on move 17 would do something that nobody else had tried before. And everybody immediately starts looking, well, that's a mistake. Well, that's a blunder. No, look, five, six, eight moves away, plies away. He saw deeper. He saw something that, it, and it isn't only based on the other guy might make a mistake because it's new and off book, that it's more, wow, he opened up a new line. Right. And I, I love reading about that kind of thing where someone can, and that's a, a lot of how you try to, back when they were programming computers to play chess like human beings, that's kind of what they tried to do was either the look ahead and go deeper, be able to look 10 moves instead of five. But after a while it was, it's all positional. You at a glance of the board, you can say, what's my overall ownership of position, possibilities of attacks, um, value of my pieces. And like when you play uh, simultaneous exhibits, you know, a guy plays 40 people and just steps up to each board, glances, makes a move. That's kind of what they started to be able to do with computers was that he isn't deeply analyzing every single one of these games and the amount of brain power that that would take. He had that uh, gestalt way of looking at it. You know what I mean? That after you played a lot of chess, you kind of just, this is kind of weird. I don't play chess anywhere near as frequently and as deeply as I used to. But already then I had that weird feel for there's um, zones of control. There's a little bit of synesthesia, there's colors here. And you want to watch out for what colors are their attacks coming for you and how you defend and what attacks yours are and where they intersect and how do you um, make more of the future possibilities go your way than theirs. And it doesn't have to be that there's one sure line. It can be that leisurely boa constrictor way of looking at, I am continually increasing my um, possibilities and putting him into more and more uncomfortable situations. So you might not be able to get all the way to Zugzwang where they really have no good moves, but you're continually limiting their good options and expanding yours. And that if you have two and a half hours to do that on the clock and you can learn to do that quickly, you kind of will always win. You will always just kind of flow over them like water instead of stab them like with a spear. And and that's at least that's how I pictured it. And, you know, that's why I try to explain how my chess mind started to work. And, and I don't know, I I think I've told you, I never pursued anything in my life with that thing of, I want to be the world-class guy because what I always thought was I'm going to play chess and I'm not going to know how to change my clothes. I'm going to be so obsessive that I might lose other social skills and stuff like that. And I kind of wanted to be a generalist. You know, I wanted to have the world in me, not this very interesting niche in me. Right. So there's other (laughs) games that we've got that a lot too. I know Colin, like the deck builders, he has okay. a couple deck builders, the Legends and Ascension. And he basically took them to his room when he was off school for the summer and weekends. And he sat and he'd play a game against himself, each side, and then change the yes. cards and then do this. And well, what cards combo well? What the, So it got to the yes. point where it's like, no, I'm not playing Ascension because there's no point. You know the five cards to buy. You know the ratio. It's <laughs> There's no point. Um, and But dominion which we all kind of like and even gina Mm -hmm. likes to play dominion but even that one the first thing i do is i start reading all the cards i'm like okay i want to get three of this i want to get two that'll come in handy if i can collect these particular yep yep and no and and i try and keep my deck very modified low so that i get those combos more often you know i see the people uh every turn oh i can buy two things i'll buy two things oh i'll buy these two i'll buy these two and they then they're like not getting combos because they have so many cards. So 
I know everybody plays a little different, but I, you know, yeah. that evaluation <laughs> is that too. Yeah. We, we, it's kind of funny. We haven't really spent a lot of time about games and not only what games do we like and not like, but about those things. You know, I, I, I tend to, um, because I often, so we, we know really brilliant people like Steve, like Oriel, that are, they're really good at understanding what the winning conditions are and how to move towards them, how to explain some of those things to others, how to not give away all your tricks because, right. you know, if you play this a lot, then, you know, it would be like your son that they'll be able to, it's kind of like playing, they've already played all these games in their head and you're just fodder for them. Right. So, and what I always try to do is, especially when I'm playing with family and friends, I really like games that have a combination of all those things plus luck so that it isn't only a matter of kind of just playing it out that there's a, yes, it's very much like that. It's a known steady state game and it, it, it goes off into combinatorial complexity very quickly, but there really isn't any luck involved. Um, when you do something where you're drawing cards, rolling dice, whatever else it might be, you might have the best plans in the world for Settlers of Catan, but if you keep on drawing too much of one resource and whatever the other limitations we can start naming, you get kind of like, I'm going to do the best I can, but boy, this isn't working out like to the last 20 games I played. They kind of followed good scenarios that I like and I'm comfortable with. And, and I guess, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, once in a while, like I love playing um, a lot of computer games, a lot of dungeon crawl games. And one of the things that I discovered was, you know, stop being always either the big brute, because that's kind of like what you look like, or the wizard, because that's kind of what you think like, but be the wiry thief. Be the guy that's got first strike. Be the guy that's more of a uh, an opportunistic, like, stealer than, than winner, if you will. And it was just cool to be able to, what they often talk about in books, I still hadn't embraced it enough until maybe the last 10 years take that opportunity to be someone else, to be your alter ego, to play. And I know it doesn't have to be like, oh, now I'm a pretty female character, or now I'm a dragon, or whatever. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be entirely things, but I think there's something to be found for. You know what I should do is I should just roll up my character randomly every time and deal with it. You know, if I'm going to be a half-orc that is like, you know, my charisma is three, kids run screaming from me in the village because I am so ugly. You know what I mean? Instead of being the smooth talker, they can convince the innkeeper to give me the secret part of the... It's kind of cool to play against type and learn something from that. So uh, When we play role-playing <laughs> games down there with some friends, um, the w- one friend, we kind of pick on him, joke about it. He's always the same character, no matter what we're playing. He's got to be big military strong fight you know he's okay. got the same tactics for everything we ever play <laughs> and i i do i do shit that just annoys them like i was a thief <laughs> the one time and okay. we were in a really bad battle and we were wounded and he's like okay well let's go to the inn and we're gonna stay in our room for three days and heal up i'm like that is boring i'm like you know, <laughs> what, what fun is it that oh we, we don't have to worry about getting hurt because we're just gonna go and heal up after every battle and honestly to me that takes some of the fun out of it there's no challenge there's no risk there's, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. There. <laughs> so i said well i'm bored i'm going to climb out the window and go search for some bread and the gm is laughing because he knows i'm doing it to annoy my other friend and my friends were like, don't what are you doing well i was the worst <laughs> thief in the world i tripped going out the window and landed in front of guards and let's put it this way the ensuing battle, we burnt the hotel down, the inn. <laughs> so he was mad at me. So he always made me go up front to look for traps while we're going down 
trails exactly. and dungeons. And get in the face if there is one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for some reason, I never made my rolls. So they'd come walking by and I'd be hanging upside down in a trap. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to help you. Or I'd walk into the dungeon and fall through the floor in the trap. And he's like, right. if we find you, we'll help you out. You know, he's like, screw you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We'll see you. We'll get you out of the pit on the way right. back out after we've gone adventuring. Exactly. Yeah, we, we played another game where we played Giants. We, we were okay. just all giants. Mm-hmm. Well, I made my character afraid of the dark, not knowing that the very first thing that happened was we had to run into some caves. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> we're trying good. to get away from dragons attacking our town. And I'm afraid mm-hmm. to go through the cave and I'm holding a torch and the dragons see me and my friends like, get over here. What are you doing? I'm like, I can't. It's dark. And I played my character like I should, you know, but yes. it really made for an interest. But, the thing is to me, and I did this when I GM'd for my kid uh, when okay. they were younger, yeah. I, I I wanted it interesting. And they still tell stories about some of those games of things that happened and the fun we had. You know, yeah. it's no fun when, okay, it's the same battle formation. You cast this spell and then you cast this one and you cast this one. You know, it's like those people that play Diablo and they're so they've done it so many times that they get into a battle and the whole team is like, I hit this. Okay. I hit this. Okay. I did that. I did. And it's the same routine. Yeah. That's boring. No, it's funny that you would mention that. No, I love Diablo. I've played that for a long time. Diablo one through three and all the variations and stuff. And that's one of the ones was exactly where I first started to say, don't just play the wizard. Don't just play like try being, the, the monk this time where you're all about quickness and martial arts and and you know what I mean like and, and well one time I was like the um the they introduced a, a voodoo doctor character if you will and that it wasn't you in the battle you were continually summoning familiars and animals and things like that and so like send my poison spiders at them and so it's like like I hadn't I usually don't be the guy, the kind of the puppeteer in the back, sending my forces in. I'm always like, well, I'm going to be in the battle with you because I'm your leader, but I'm all one of you. And it was very fun to just play, okay, what if I put my manipulator hat on? That I'm going to exhaust them, you know, with all my, the, tro- the troops I'm going to send against them, and then I'll be the one that goes around the battlefield killing them with a stiletto. <laughs> that, right. that are, you know what I mean? That kind of, the visual of that is terrible to me. <laughs> and yet, it, they are very good in Diablo of making each one of those character types have a very different experience so that when you're the crusader that you really, you're supposed to be like, you know, chaotic, I'm sorry, uh, uh, lawful good. And that you get power because you really have only done good things. You're never going to steal anything. You know, it's, it's very cool that they have played to the strengths and the weaknesses of each of those various different things. And then as I play each of those types, it's like, so where did I have the most fun time there? When Sometimes when it was, I was me and I played it really well. And other times where I didn't know what to do, but it doesn't really matter. I'm supposed to be chaotic. <laughs> Let's just try something. something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that same philosophy. Like Gina gets irritated with me whenever we take pictures. So I always got to okay. make some face. And I'm like, but you tell me how many pictures you take where everyone's standing and smiling nicely that you remember. What was this for? I don't remember what this was for. But when you're okay. doing something else, you remember what goofy. the picture's for. You know, that's my, <laughs> my point. I, my favorite, man, I remember back in the 90s playing, I was a barbarian with very low dexterity, but high charisma. So I, I, I was like, okay, I'm Fabio. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I was playing Fabio. So every time we'd be getting yeah. attacked, I'd jump up and very, well, I will smite thee and go running at him. And 
my same friends like what are you doing they outnumber us and i'm just like so you know and so i just played him like a big doofus that you know his hair is flowing brilliantly <laughs> much fun you know another thing i it's kind of funny the um i i i oftentimes do it as a solo activity because i'm going to stay up until three in the morning and and etc but once in a while my not so much me in college i belonged to a couple of groups that played D, but you're in college and you fit that in amongst other things my younger brother had the wonderful experience of he had a party you know the half a dozen of them that would gather at their house uh, my, my uh, his house and maybe it was even eight of them but i think it was six and they played campaigns all through the summer. They worked their way. I'm going way back now. TSR used to have all the various different, you know, um, uh, glacial rift of the frost diet jarl yeah, and yeah. things like that. You know, they had probably 15 different things that built to this big climactic thing. And they, uh, I think not everybody DM'd, maybe one or two of them did, but they, and they did play constant character status with the thief and et cetera, et cetera. But after a while, the DM gets really good at, well, I know what each of these guys is good at, comfortable at, and they he started designing things that in particular would say, if you did what you're going to do kind of on autopilot, it'll work out bad for you. And so he made it that it had to be a little bit trickier and a little bit more the party talking about him saying, don't just rush into battle. You know what I mean? It might be that that's not... Uh, running out for food for going to get some bread to break the boredom is a different thing than just don't be impulsive. Don't think, you know, everything that's going on. So a quick story they it, it I think this is from Bruce's game. Um, it was, you go into a room and it, there's some um, uh, dust, really dusty ash, whatever, everywhere. There's a huge treasure chest overflowing with treasure, visibly a good one <laughs> inside of a big glass box. Um, and it, as you, bump it and stuff like that, you find out that it's it, 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 it um, flows like water. So it's like, okay, they cast spells. Well, what if it's not water? What if it's acid? So you check for that and you check for traps on the chest and, and everything that they could do, it was just going to be a matter of tank, break the glass, get, get the treasure out. Well, they do that. The water flows out. What that was on the floor was a huge black pudding that a fireball had made into ash. And of course, when you put the water in it, it reconstitutes it. And now they're all like hip deep in this, you know, oh my God, my armor's deteriorating. Oh my God, it's eating me. And, and it just was, they spent so much time talking about the possibilities. And you know, the DM must have been just like, biting his tongue with oh yeah that you know you check for you check for that no it's not acid and i it it was there's a whole bunch of other stories that they could tell about those perfect interactions and traps and where they had non-player characters that they actually um uh, uh, um interacted with them in a way that the dm hadn't expected but that the dm is usually either mike or bruce they were so quick on the spot to make up more of the story, to be able to stay in character. And like, I just, they had such laughs and they bonded so much as friends with, here's the time that it really was the brute force guy is the one that got everybody out of trouble. Here's where the thief was able to sneak behind the spider's lair. And you really, you weren't going to brute force your way in. And so everybody had a chance to be the hero. But they needed all the party to be able to do, well, I took a lot of damage. Thank God our healer is here. Come on over, cleric, and help right. me out. And it just, it, it was, it couldn't have been a more ideal D&D adventure, in my mind, the way that, that the originators must have pictured it, is that the reason you created all those character classes is because you're going to need them all. Yeah. And that they're all equally <laughs> powerful at different times. And I don't know, man, I, I am 
I'm jealous of my not having had that cool experience that he used to tell me about. You know, we talk, I'd, I'd be, when I started to be at college for the summer, we'd have phone calls and he'd be like telling me the latest tales and just like, that's just so creative. That's just so much fun. Yeah. Oh man, can I drive home? Can I drive home and take part? <laughs> the next time I'll roll up the character. I'll be the noob. I'll be the pud, you know, that you can take out there. And oh well. It was I, I remember when I GM'd uh, the Star Wars role playing game in college. We had a group okay. of us that for a couple of years played Star Wars every couple of weekends. And my yep. basic rule was it, it had to be dramatic like the movies. And not we're, we're not going to sit there. This is one of my problems with playing with certain people is okay. they we will spend like that treasure thing three hours trying to make sure that there's nothing that's going to hurt us when we open. The, I don't want to sit here for three hours. I want to move on and have a story and adventure. So that was exactly. the rule. If if okay. the characters started sitting around discussing what they should do and all this too much. Uh, stormtroopers come around the corner or your, your <laughs> ship is getting towed away or, you know, exactly. Force the issue. Exactly. Yeah, or your, your droid suddenly starts smoking. And now uh, the officials are coming to check out where the smoke's coming from. And it's like, <laughs> oh, what do we do? You're, you're moving on. We're, we're going to have a good night. So <laughs> that's very funny. So I do remember I was, I was at one college game real quick. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It, it, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. One of those things where you, you, um, uh, you find things, and of course, you know it's it's you're probably just all starting off between like level three and five. Well, he had a chart of like a hundred different things, and of course, if you really roll the perfect hundred, you get the the list expands from these basic ten to the next twenty to the fifty to the hundred. And so, early in the game, somebody found Thor's hammer, and it was just the game was over. You know right. what I mean? It's like okay, you met a, a golem, bonk, and it's dead. Sixty hit points dead, and like it it was. Such a he really beat the odds by doing this role, but it, it took all the fun away from the game when you become a god on earth. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see. I would have done something like uh, every time he did it, there was some negative reaction. So like suddenly he grew buck teeth, and, right? You know, or, drains life force or you know, something or it was like glued that to his right. hand, and it started weighing fifty pounds more. So now he couldn't drag it, and they had to, you know just something so, crazy. I wonder if that would have played out if we would have played longer, but I don't think that DM had anticipated that really long odds roll happening. You know what I mean? Right. So it was like, well, why don't we start another game instead of playing this one? Because this is now no fun. All the rest of us are just like little ants, shadows going along with this right. huge guy. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, so, you know what would have been great? <laughs> that it's really actually still owned and in someone else's control. Mm-hmm. And so every now and then it would just suddenly go away and drag him along with it. And right, so it's exactly, like because crashing. Thor was calling it back. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So speaking of Thor, oh man, what a great segue. And there he goes. Trailer. <laughs> it's overwhelming oh, with how gosh. much cool. I have actually had to take notes and I don't, you know, we don't have to not miss anything, but like, you know, <laughs> you're just when you go to the list of what's coming out through like 2023, it's not like two or three things. Oh, it's like God. 20. They're it's making like up for the last two years. And it's not only movies, of course, there's TV shows and there's animation and there's all kinds of stuff. And so we, we I don't know how much you want to jump around. Everything, like, whatever, so, let's go. Yeah, exactly. You know, the there are a couple of things, as you know, that were supposed to be released during COVID-45 year and it didn't happen. So they put those into the schedule and not necessarily the first ones are going to be the ones that they already have in the tank. Like Morbius was supposed to come out a year ago, yeah. but that's not the first one to be released. From what I understand, Loki 
It's going to be the first movie out in theaters, and and that uh, wasn't necessarily the first TV show on Disney. Oh, I, I think you're right. I'm sorry. Exactly. So I didn't take it. I didn't take deep enough notes to help me. You know what I mean? As we talk <laughs> through these things, you probably have all the details. But so that so that's I love the fact that. Um, as I have been, as we mentioned, I got HBO Max, I got Disney because I have my phone in my home and I didn't have to pay anything for them yet. And I'm trying to just drink everything that I can so that when it comes down to am I really going to have the same as I used to have with a huge cable bill, but I got away from it because right. I cut the cord. But now I'm doing I'm nickel and dime. Like, yeah, Your investments so, better stay up. <laughs> right. Runaways was very cool. Agent and, Carter was very cool. Yeah, like Doom do, do Patrol, you know, that kind of stuff. And actually, I take it back. Runaways was... Um, moved slower than I wanted it to. I thought there was, I thought the comic books were really interesting. And it's funny, the first big surprise, no spoilers, is like the whole point of the series, and it's done by the second episode. And so that, then, it, then it's more of a, a chase thing instead of a mystery. There are some things that have, uh, they were good, but only specific parts of them were good. I think you know they I mean? were so, <laughs> trying to make Runaways too much of a teen angsty thing, which I understand it's a teen book. They're all that age right? and stuff. But I think they went too much trying to do the teen angsty stuff, kind of like, you know, all the whatever that's out there, instead right. of enough of the story with the superhero stuff. Uh, I don't think they got the right balance with that. That's a good analysis. I would, I would agree. That's really good analysis that I, I want it to be that there's some of each of those things. I don't mind people like they used to, when, when they made fun of in like not brand deck about the early X-Men, you know, that there was a lot of battle, but there was also all those dreamy thought balloons where Scott and Jean were always like kind of edging towards being in love, but they couldn't say anything to each other. I, and so it's like, how much of that? You're really going to play that every single issue. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you're going to be a man of action, then act. You right, know what I yeah, mean? Maybe yeah. ask her out. How about that? So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just, Loki, Tom Huddleston, Hiddleston, Hiddleston. I, right, is so perfectly suited oh, for that yeah. role. One of the wonderful things they've done is they discovered like not only one good Spider-Man, but multiple good Spider-Man. And, and Robert Downey Jr. was so great as Tony Stark. And again, that, that, that malevolent glee that he puts into Loki. It's just yeah. so good. <laughs> the great thing is, and I, I love them for this is, uh, the, by calling. My, my, my wife is, she's, she's got, uh, yeah, we now, because we're both vaccinated, it can go out. My wife has an appointment. Oh, <laughs> so wow. out of the house. Oh my God. <laughs> so the, the movies are wonderful and I love that they've started branching out a little bit. So it's not like, oh, look, another action superhero movie. The TV mm -hmm. shows lately have been off the charts. Fantastic. They're not doing they're, – they're doing – I mean, Agent Carter was the, the cop show, uh, right. you know, and now they did Winter Soldier, which was the buddy cop show. And they did WandaVision, which was wacky, uh, right. but – such a good underlying story. But like Twin Peaksy, where it's like, yes, what's going on here? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like the first three or four episodes were just trying to like, what, what I yeah. thought I was getting something. And this isn't. <laughs> you could have never done that in a movie successfully. And I think you're right. Loki is a time travel sci-fi show with comedy. I mean, it's exactly. like, oh my God, how great is that? <laughs> but anyway. I really have, no, it's a, and, and from what I, you know, one of the things just for reading the blurbs that of course it isn't only that each of these has this main character. They've been so good about getting the support supporting cast built for each of these shows. Yeah. So there will be the 
arch nemesis, the wisecracking sidekick, the love interest, whatever else it might be, and that they're they're very good about playing everywhere with that. You know, oh my God, is your unrequited love because you you, you uh, uh, are lost in time, or is it because one of you turned into a robot, or you know what I mean? Right, it's very right. fun to see all those variations. Right. Um, so here's when I watched the trailer, I was really awestruck. First of all, um, because. They're, they they nailed everything so perfectly. I really think Marvel took a, a note from Apple advertising because think <laughs> about all the Apple commercials, especially at Christmas. Not once are they shoving a product in your face, selling a product. They are making some emotional uh, thing that you, it's almost like a mini story, like the Frankenstein one where he was singing and he okay. did light bulb or the one uh, year or so ago with the kid. Uh, looking like he's ignoring everybody, is staring at a screen, but the whole time he's taking pictures and he's making a family oh, video, and that, that's like, oh, exactly. and then everybody wants an <laughs> apple. You know, that's what they sold. This Marvel trailer, they they had some issues. First of all, we haven't had a movie in two years, so yeah. people are like, okay, I watched ten years of it. We hit the end. I don't care about the rest of this crap. I I know people were like that generally. And okay. so they had to overcome that. People for two years haven't had Marvel. They don't care, honestly. Right. And they have some new ones coming out. They can't keep doing the old stuff because they'll lose it. So they have these new characters, but nobody knows a thing about them. Nobody knows who Shang-Chi is. Nobody knows who the That's Eternals right. are. And if they don't know, they don't care. And if you want me to prove that, just go look at DC for the last eight years. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody cared about Suicide Squad and it kind of flopped. Well, They had to some way get people emotionally invested back in the movies and get these new characters into that pocket of that, those feels they did it masterfully. They start the trailer off with Stan Lee. Uh, Everybody's crying at this point already. Exactly. And then they show the audience reaction to everybody watching Endgame to remind you, what you felt like when that was there, that you wanted to cheer and the audience That's did. Right. And they picked the perfect part where Steve, you know, Falcon says on your left. And it's like, Oh my God, we were watching it. And Gina's like crying in the chair and cheering. Right. And it's like it's a two minute trailer. <laughs> so they got you feeling so good and remembering this. And then they're like, so let me show you these new characters coming up, but they did it very subtly and stuff. So now people are like, Oh, I can't wait to see all those. And in their head, right. Eternals and Shang-Chi are Marvel. They're great. They, they, they were, it was masterful. I applaud it. It, it. I'm not a marketing guy, but I know a little bit. And that was so well done. I, yeah. I, I honestly, I agree with everything you said. They, they really showed that Marvel, the Marvel, uh, formula and it's not really that's the wrong term the marvel ethos for how they make these things is to give you that emotional connection yeah. to give it so there's characters that you like you know back in the cisco and ebert days their constant criticism was i never cared about anybody in this movie why would i watch the movie till the end if i couldn't care less about the outcome right. and immediately you're like okay you know uh, um this one's fighting to save the world this one's an orphan trying to find his way this is you know what i mean there's like there's the, the broad strokes that Marvel have always had of uh, tap into archetypes. This is the Jekyll and Hyde story. This is the Romeo and Juliet story. This is the, you know, young man bound for adventure, the, the hero, hero's journey. That, yeah. And so there, it might be that there's variations on a theme. And one of the things they're doing wonderfully is, well, it, it's not a young man. It's a young woman bound for adventure. Or it's, you know, if you're looking for um, a hidden land, what happens when the hidden land loses its king? 
well, Wakanda. And you know what I mean? They're, they're really candy about keeping you emotionally at their stakes. There's real stakes that it's not just, I don't know, the DC comic books and maybe the universe are always had that sense of it's just another episode. They're going to hit the reset button. Everything starts over next time and nothing changes. You know what I mean? And, and that might be successful for, for Seinfeld, where the, one of the themes was no learning, that it really is just vignettes of this group of people. But Marvel always had that. When someone dies, they're really gone and people grieve. Yeah. And, and then someone rises in the underworld to fill that guy's place who died. And that there really were ramifications from the past that kind of echo into the future. And I love seeing that. So when you find out that, like, I know Doctor Strange is going to be in the multiverse of madness or something yeah. like that. And when they expand the Marvel universe in the way that that's going to do, that they show the multiverse and that they show that there are alternate versions of various different people. And that you think of, well, so that traumatic event that this character went through, it could have gone either way. They could have gone good or bad. They could have gone mighty or they could have gone, I'm going to draw into my little shell. And so there's going to be so much, um, resonance throughout the Marvel universe for like one of the motivations behind these characters and that we really might see some of those alternates. There's going to be Kang the Conqueror is going to be in one of these. And like, I I think I've always thought they've, they've handled him really well in the comic books because at first they just showed him as another conqueror with like a utility belt that can do things because he's (laughs) from the future. Well, then they really started to show that power of time travel. Like you could grab people from the past and bring them here. You could grab things from the future. You could, uh, the one I always loved was they had a whole series, a, a year in the Avengers where they, him and the Avengers have a big fight. And then the Avengers, like they need some time off to lick their wounds and heal. Well, Kang goes into the future, takes a year to heal, and then comes back 10 minutes after the battle. And so it's right. like, how do you fight someone that never wears down? He has all. So I'm looking forward to, like, I'm trying to think what else I saw. The Eternals, like you said, that's a whole nother. When Jack Kirby brought that into the Marvel Universe, it was a huge expansion of, well, what if there's been this secret race, both the Eternals and the Deviants, that have been kind of either interacting with or controlling or bedeviling humanity for all this time? And does that have an explanation? Does that fit into the reason that, you know, Peter Parker was bitten by radioactive spiders because somebody shoved him? You know what I mean? You don't know. (laughs) What are they going to do to kind of play that retro con game of, like, it really could be that we what we think we knew wasn't always the truth. And if they're clever about it, it's going to be so satisfying. And, you know and, what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I feared for it because Colin loves Eternals. And I'm like, I, I'm just afraid because they're going to like drop them in, no introduction. So it's going to tank. And then they're going yeah. to do what DC does. Well, scrap everything. We can't do any of that. But I think they're bringing it in very well. And I, what I would have loved, and I know this is actually going back <laughs> to when they were created – they're celestials and the eternals man that really could have come across as like a lovecraft cosmic horror type thing and that would have been i would love that it's still good but right we're we're here to either um you know experiment and advance humanity and if we don't like what's going on we're just going to like rinse that petri dish out and we're going to start over and you know i mean like you guys are the sense of scale of we think that we're important in the universe but once you go really cosmic no, right. <laughs> there's all kinds of things going on and they're going to have, there's a well, planned secret invasion thing where it's like, yes. really, we're going to have the scrolls and they're going to have been invading humanity for a long time. Well, and they, you really can't trust your neighbor, like red scare type stuff. They've already oh, started my. that. I mean, you know, they were in Marvel, Miss Marvel, and right. they had the one end credit scene where they had the scrolls uh, talking. Uh, so exactly. 
you know, it, it, I know that's coming. That, the, the problem with the Eternals that they have to work on and overcome is all of the Marvel characters have flaws. They're very human to us. You know, right. even I mentioned that when uh, Falcon took over his cap, spoilers for anyone. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he's just a normal guy. He doesn't have serum. You know, mm-hmm. he's just trained. He's got wings that are, you know, right. mechanical. Actually, I think- yeah, he's been offered it and refused it because anyway, you yeah. know what I mean? That so, he's- but the Eternals, they're gods. How do you make gods interesting? Uh, they have to have something that's a flaw because we can't relate to them and people don't care. And I, I think that's one of the things, again, DC was trying to overcome, but they haven't yeah. given it enough chance. Also, I'll tell you what, I, um, I, can, I can give you some analysis that I thought the first time that I read The Eternals as a comic book. They're very much based on the Greek pantheon. You know, right. Zoros is Zeus and Makari is Mercury and all that. And I guess Greco-Roman because Jack Kirby played fast and loose with which was the Greek or right. the Roman equivalent. But when you read Greek and Roman mythology, they're not just gods, all wise. They're very petty in oh, their yeah. humanity. They're very jealous. They're very boastful. They're very everything. And so it's kind of like... The, the idea of a god being omniscient, omnipotent, and omni-good. No, they just happen to be very, very advanced humans, but they sure have all the emotions. And in this case, having a, a fit means you might set off a volcano instead of just kick a dog. Right. I shouldn't say just kick a dog. Sorry, <laughs> dog lovers. But you know what I mean? Oh, it, you're it really is. <laughs> exactly. I love dogs. You know I love dogs, everybody. All, so All those people that got after Keanu Reeves after the first John Wick movie, now they're all going to come after you. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i think what we're going to see like they've done also an interesting job with the eternals i'm trying to remember exactly there's because there's all these new characters there's all these chances to put in um uh existing known actors and not and so there's a whole bunch of new names people that I don't necessarily recognize but i'm scrolling down it's like oh salma hayek is in there yeah. okay is she going to be like an, enchant- an enchantress type one or is she going to be a battle uh, a wonder woman type you know where she's a warrior right. i don't remember the exact name of the character and so i didn't get oh that's how they're going to use her but It'll be a very interesting thing to, to have them play out. Another thing about the Eternals is that it's not the, the, the Greco-Roman gods were really big on sibling rivalry, on um, marriages and marriages not working out and jealousies. You know, Zeus screwed around on Hera a hundred million all times time. and all those demigod bastard children. And so how much are they going to put that in that if you've got an eternity to live and you decide that you need to dally and you start seeding yourself in humanity, how many of those um, by-blows are we going to have occurring where, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how they weave that into human history and say, oh, that's what was going on. Hercules, Heracles, you know, was actually a a half god. So that's, I don't know, that'll be very interesting to see how they play that out. And there's got technology that... In fact, this is a little bit of a segue. They have technology far advanced from human beings. And so what if that got out? The whole prime directive part of Star Trek was always, don't <laughs> you can't leave a phaser behind on the planet because that will change the course of civilization. Right. Well, Armor Wars is coming up where they yeah. talk about what happens with Iron Man when some of his technology gets out. And they're not all benevolent. And then how do you – did you build – intellectual property containment into it so that you could turn it off from a distance. No, if they defeat it, it, it'll be very interesting. So, so much Marvel comics, comics in general have always been not only a, a, a 
a look into the future, but a reflection of the times. And so whatever we are worried about currently with cyber warfare, with intellectual property, with you're going to see a lot of those things played out yeah. with, wow, that was built to be good. But the law of unexpected consequences would say something's going to go well, wrong. Well, <laughs> we, we already had some problem with some of Tony's ideas with Ultron. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, yes, they've set the stage for that, too, that even yeah. though you're really a smart guy, you're not always a wise guy. You're not right. always a... Uh, perfectly seeing into the future, even if you're a futurist, you're and, seeing probabilities, not certainties. You know and, what I and, mean? So. And Tony's character <laughs> in the movies is, uh, you know, he always says he wouldn't, uh, you know, he would not be cap and sacrifice himself for everybody, but he's the only one that does it like every movie, you know, that he'll sacrifice himself. And in the end, he's the one that saves everybody by sacrificing everything. And exactly. he, his character arc is just, fantastic in the movies yeah you know what I, I thinking about that a little bit there's something a little bit what we talked about if you're true to your character and you can't help but act that way it really isn't as noble as choice if you really are that you have in you both the hero and the scoundrel and that you had it in you to run away and you don't do it you stand up when it really matters that's cooler somehow you know yeah, it's really absolutely well <laughs> Sorry, comic books affect me. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, so. but that was this whole thing. I mean, you know, watching Endgame, everyone was cheering, and I mean, like I said, Gina was sitting there crying, hearing Stan and uh, seeing Endgame again, and she was cheering. I'm like, oh my yes. god, it's a two minute trailer. We've seen all this before, so that's <laughs> that's what I mean. If if they couldn't have done that and got you to feel that way, they would have had a tough road ahead of them. You know? Absolutely. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm excited for the next two years of yeah. what they got planned. Another thing that I'd like to see was I've often liked generational things, you know, where they had uh, the Justice Society became the Justice League. Yeah. I know that's DC, but let's go here. Fantastic Four started to have, well, they're going to have kids. What's going to happen with their kids? X-Men had, uh, you know, that there's variations on their powers based on the future, the past, interbreeding. Hawkeye is one of the movies where it's not going to be only Hawkeye, who you know from the Avengers movies. It's the young lady Hawkeye right. that she's just as skilled. And there, there's actually that wonderful, like, father-daughter loving but bickering you know what i mean trying to find your way in the world trying to protect her but you can't because you know what i mean it's like it they, they another uh often told tale that they found a way to bring it into the superhero world you know what i mean like when they went home to hawkeye's home and had all the heroes are standing around and she's like you know would you like some pie it, it humanized things so well yeah. in a way that they really aren't human uh, they aren't heroes all the time they have to have some downtime they, if they're married and their their, their spouses aren't powered they've had to deal with he doesn't go on a business trip he goes on a cosmic escapade and he might not come <laughs> home and so it's very cool to see what the, the strength of those characters that can deal with he has with great power comes great responsibility so i can see why he does he has to do what he does and yet please don't take him from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, so that'll be cool. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the, the, the multiverse, the Dr. Strange thing. Yes. And yes. on top of that, they've got Ant-Man in quantum mania. And we know quantum he's got quantum world. <laughs> That's so, right. Uh, obviously they're trying to open this up. Like you said, to other worlds, we could get other versions. So that's right. Not I, just big cosmic, but there's plenty of room at the bottom. As, yes, as, and, as, I, and that's exciting. Uh, but I, you know, uh, who are they going to like overdo it too much and kill things? That you know, that's the danger. They they probably got to be real careful because yeah. you know we could do 
Spider-Man Noir. We could do Miles Morales. We could do Spider-Gwen. We could do, right. uh, you know, Listen, just... The next Spider-Verse animated movie sure looks like it has all the Spider-Man, Spider-Women, Spider-Everybody yeah. versions, the Spider-Verse. And so not only can they, they are. And yeah. like, how are they going to keep that continuity where it's not just, all right, just do anything you want. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if they could go to another universe and bring Captain America back, well, you know, that changes things. Uh, and would we want that? You know, would he be more like U.S. agent or somebody like that? You know, it's Right. I'll, I'll tell you, it's interesting that you talk about that because both Marvel and DC have, have done that. They had gotten continuity so convoluted. They had so much time <laughs> travel, alternative history, variations on a theme, different dimensions, that they have built to a big thing the you know, collapse of the multiverse, the final crisis, the secret wars, whatever else it might be, as kind of a, a way of clearing the slate sometimes. And then they start a new universe. They start a different universe and they have variations on, well, now don't worry, um, you know, the Hulk isn't as powerful as he once was. And so there'll be a little bit more uh, um, risk for him. I, I don't know. I, I hope that if they do that in the movies, that they play it out over years so that you get a chance to build to we have established characters and they really have histories and that guy getting erased from reality. That's really a big thing. That's not just, you know, it it really has to matter. Like, you know, when they did the finger snap and people went to dust, you wouldn't have had anywhere near the emotional impact if you hadn't had Spider-Man in movies already for 25 years. Exactly. You know what I mean? So this trailer would not have been able to be made eight, nine years ago. It had, now's the only time they really could have done it. And, um, uh, drew a blank. Oh, so you could do something like American horror story where they get this new universe, but they change all the characters and their abilities, maybe like amalgam or something like that. (laughs) See, I wonder about that. If they go, cause they, when they look at, here's this, um, amazing vault of intellectual property that we have. And instead of us having to come up with something new, we could just say what worked and what didn't out of every time that Marvel had a series of crossover annuals each summer. Let's see, Atlantis attacks, eh, only so good. Um, uh, the scroll secret invasion, really good. You know, the, the Norman Osborn, uh, you know, shield becoming sword. There's all kinds of ways that they could say, kind of we already have sales numbers we already know what people really bought into they must they must have i suspect that they when they did civil war they really said what's the event in all of marvel continuity that really was an opportunity to bring everybody together and to have everybody take sides and it wasn't just there's how many superhero battles where they're both after the same villain but they bump into each other and for some reason they're suspicious of each other instead of cooperative so they have a little bit of a fight well civil war the stakes where they were are you about freedom or are you about order are you about you know vigilantism or about trains and control and and that it was it's all the variations on that there's not just one way to think about that so that's I wonder which of that, like I said, that series of, as I go through my comic books while I'm, while I'm going through the vault, and I remember, oh yeah, that was really cool, where the first Secret Wars series kind of okay, second one not as good. If they're going to do a Secret Wars things with The Beyonder, which is such a crap name, that <laughs> I hope that they embrace the good things out of the first series or out of both series, and not just have it be 
The whole point of that was to introduce the symbiote costume. Well, they already have Venom in this universe, and right. so they, you know, who knows? They they do have that ability to, like, pick and choose amongst all of Marvel history right. and, and see what has worked. And hopefully, not only just... When I just read something about this, that one of the cool things I love about all the TV and all the movies is instead of just going and some of the early movies were seeing played out what I already knew. And every time that they've done something different, that there was a different origin, a different villain, a different first meeting, a uh, different love interest. It's kind of cool to say, okay, um, I, I don't know. I want to be surprised. I want to be much more involved in figuring out what's going on instead of just seeing it play out. So same with like Walking Dead. You know what I mean? When they diverged from the series within like the first, by the fifth issue, the fifth episode, it was different. It's like, okay. (laughs) I don't know if they think that they're correcting it, fixing it, if they're just doing this because they can. But I like that I wasn't going to be like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. I, I like not. Yes, I like I being surprised. So. Yeah. so speaking of, did you watch uh, Invincible? Yet? Yes. I think I've, I've seen the first three episodes. Okay, I haven't watched it. Boy, it, it did with the comic book. So far, it's done very well. The overall theme of a little bit of what Runaways was. What if you found out that the person that you thought you could trust most in the world maybe ain't that guy? And in fact, he's not only not that guy, he's not just like a drunk dad. He's like amazing megalomaniac. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and that whatever that familial conflict of, do sons really have to have a fight with their dad before leaving home to prove they're a man? And what if that was, well, you could destroy the planet doing that? I don't think I'm saying too many spoilers, but it gets. And it. someone just pointed out that like the, the logo or whatever they use, it gets more and more blood splatters on it with each episode because the stakes keep going up you're not just discovering bad guy stuff you're discovering that he's like he's willing to kill a lot of humanity a lot of his fellow heroes he's going to summon his cohort from another planet like the stakes are really going up it's very well done i always like robert kirkman he really has a great feel for what has gone before in comics and how can I embrace all the good things, but put new twists in there. So you don't know what's going to happen next. Kirkman's really good yeah, at that. Yeah. And the other <laughs> so, one is uh Garth Ennis with the boys. I haven't yes. watched that. The comics. Great. Loved it. Uh, haven't watched all of that. And we, we've got to catch up because Jensen Eccles is going to be on season three. So we have to catch I didn't up. Know that. Okay. How yeah. did I not know that? That's cool. Okay. Yeah. That's where yeah. he went. I mean, Padalecki went to Walker and Jensen went to okay. the boys season three. Interesting. Okay. That's, so. you know, I, I, I really like the boys, but that is another one. That's one of those series where I can understand going to almost any Marvel movie. The people who are not comic book fans could still have a nice time. There's a whole bunch of the boys where people would be like, do you like this? Yeah. This is it, yeah. It's definitely violent. This is incredibly perverse. How do you read these all the time? It like yeah. reflects badly on me. Garth Ennis is not the one I would say, Oh, you want to read comics here? Read this. Exactly. I fell in love with the guy. Absolutely. You don't give him, but... you don't give him the preacher. You don't give him the boys oh, as God, an introduction to comics. Yeah. Exactly. No, you, have to, you have to hit a level before you get there. That's you know, right. I've got some spidey super stories. So start with that. <laughs> Justice <Yep>. League. That's <laughs> what it was. So. I know we've talked about this a little bit before. One of the things I love when you've read a lot of comic books is when you find someone that's really good at comic books, mythology, uh, folklore, and they're able to draw from all those various different things and create a cool new work. So when you read Planetary by not Garth Ennis, but Warren Ellis, it's really good at 
understanding what has gone before, the Victorian novels, the pulps, the comic books, and tap uh, the horror movies, and tapping into various different parts of those in a way that it kind of, that's all together. There's one big universe that all those things coexist in, and so you really might have Sherlock Holmes and Dracula, <laughs> and our heroes meet and what's going to happen because of that. And I love works like that. You yeah. know what I mean? That there's uh, the Iron Druid series is really great about that of weaving various different mythologies and folklores together. And so if you're going to have the God of the hunt from this mythology have to have a fight with um, the old world's oldest vampire, like who would win and how would they win and what would go on and what allies would they summon? And so that's just a great read because you can tell the guy has such affection for all those things and sprinkles good things in from everywhere. It's really well done. Uh, Thomas Hearn, I think Kevin Hearn, Kevin yeah, Hearn. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned yeah. that once before. I yeah, picked it yeah. up. I've got it waiting. Okay, that's. I have been enjoying. Also, by the way, working my way through like my latest Lucas Davenport's, my latest Virgil Flowers, that fucking flowers, and <laughs> and the latest Sonny Randall, and you know what I mean. I just. There, is there anything more secure than having like a half a dozen books you can't wait to read? Right. Yeah. It's just such a nice thing to have the well, stack. Well, you know? I, I I got my latest feedback uh, from J.D. Barker on some of my okay. writing. And he and we're talking about prose and making it sparkle. And he gave examples in that. And I, I, I he really kind of blew my mind uh, because I was like, I see that. Oh, my gosh. You know, no one's ever there's no real good books, no real good classes on moving your prose to the next level you know and people okay. always say oh king writes okay stories but why is he so popular well as jd said it's the prose he knows how to write it in a way that sparkles and draws you in and he gave me some examples you know you know here's normally what would be written but king doesn't write that he writes this and i'm like oh. and i told him i said jd that's perfect because my analytical brain would have never figured it out without concrete examples. But then I okay. can read the examples and, and extrapolate that and how it works to move the same rule set to do with us. So now I'm like, okay, I've got a whole lot of practicing to do to, you know, get Good this for type you of thing for getting those insights and having like, now you can't wait to try it you yes. know, yourself. That's yeah. really and, cool. And yeah. it's really cool that I found him because people talk a lot about, you know, and I hear this, oh, a different use a different word and whatever. Mm. And I've gotten to the point wrong, but it's not always just changing the word from I eyed him to I glared at him. You know, that's not right. always thesaurus crap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just one word. Sometimes it's the whole sentence. And he pointed out to me how uh King would and, and then I went back and read. So King how King does certain things and to change. So I went back and I just opened up a couple books and started reading. Like, oh, my God, I could take these three paragraphs and write it as one sentence. But King made it so he drew me completely into it and made it three paragraphs. So he made it longer, right. yes. But it was like drawing you in. You felt it more than just reading. You know, he was exactly. excited. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. That, you know, talking about the senses, the the internal response to it, the what you notice, and that it's not the omniscient or you. It's more like as you're walking along, you're trying to set a street scene. You don't tell them all about the street. You tell them about your experience of, yeah. you know, what it smelled like. And then the leaves blew by. And then, you know, I saw a guy and he kind of looked at me, but he kind of, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you get to yeah. have, so, give people your experience. That's cool. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you have a copy of Dreamcatcher. Uh, if you ever pick up a well, copy. 
I do, but it's probably like in a box. You know what I mean? I can't just take it off the shelf. So <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> that's it, a good example. Uh, uh, it, yes, please. Be- the very beginning breaks every rule that us authors have been told about starting a story and capturing people's attention. The first like eight pages yes. is just uh, the one character Beaver at a bar with some friends. But I analyzed it and reread it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this whole long section is just to get you to feel his frustration and his boredom and and wanting to go talk to his other friends. And it it was like I I am so seeing it differently now, and it's so masterful. Very cool. So I'm like, oh, man, I got a lot of work to do. (laughs) That's very cool. One of the things I've always loved is authors that can write really good dialogue. I've always liked the Robert B. Parker Spencer books and Mike Lupica and various other successors. They really have captured that, that there's very little exposition. It's told from a certain point of view, and the conversations, you get, like, the snappiness of it, the smarm of it, the the... (laughs) Um, that you know, people who have known each other for a long time, they have a certain um, like affection for each other or rivalry with each other or whatever else it might be that comes out in the dialogue they have, the curtness of it or the word choice of it or the, you know what I mean? And when they, when they can carry the story along, letting you know kind of what's going on, but from how they're talking to each other or what they're not saying to each other because they're hiding things, it's a craft that's really, really well done by certain people. Yeah. You know, so very cool. Yeah. So I've, I've, that's been on my mind constantly this week. Okay. Very good. Good right. for you. I well, think, yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. Anything we have to cover? I, I am happy uh, uh, in closing. It's very cool. <laughs> Like you said, not only are they, uh, they've already run through main franchise characters, the Iron Man, the Thor, the, all that kind of stuff, Captain America. It's very cool that they're introducing um, lessers, Eternals, Shang-Chi, uh, uh, um, uh, Moon Knight, that kind of stuff. I have been delighted to find out that some of the things I have in my collection that are really valuable are because they weren't um, a Fantastic Four number one that everybody wants. It's Moon Knight number 28, 32, whatever it is, the first Moon, uh, not sorry, not Moon Knight, Werewolf by Night that introduces Moon Knight. And it's like, it's very cool. What was the, maybe I've talked about this before, when it occurs in the middle of a series, the print run is low, it's not even a well-regarded series that everybody's buying. And then when something big happens, like Thanos shows up and now everybody wants Thanos. So I've had half a dozen of those things like, thank you for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank you for Moon Knight. Thank you for the new... Um, Ms. Marvel, you know, the, the young Pakistani girl that, yeah. and, 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 and different than Captain Marvel. And it's just, I'm, I'm delighted that my mind being a, uh, a completist, like uh, some of these nice things that I have in really good condition. Cause I was buying from services and all that kind of stuff, not just from newsstands. I have really nice things for a lot of things that have just kind of like fallen in my lap. Right. So go Marvel, go keep on making <laughs> obscure characters into wonderful franchises because I'm going to, take a trip to Paris with Colleen because you let me have a little bit of a valuable book because of this. Two two things on my closing. Uh, Colin just bought what he says is his first big investment book. He got the, uh, 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 is it a Marvel presents or something? That's the first appearance of Hal Jordan as green lantern. He got one graded, uh, showcase showcase number four. Yes, that's it. Showcase. Um, he got a good deal on it. Because it's missing the center pages, uh, so it didn't get graded real high. But he says okay. even that the it's going up in value. Um, so he wants to flip it 
in a couple years. And he says, okay. I'll at least double my money, if not better. He says, uh, yeah. a, a, like 9.4 of that issue is going for like 21,000. So uh, nice. it's you know, still go up. So that's uh, the one. But I have a question. What are you going to do when you take that 5% of the valuable stuff and sell that off? And then nobody wants the other 300,000 comics. <laughs> I, my, I've already, I've already talked about this a little bit with Colleen. My intent is to cherry pick the collection and then whatever's left, it's going to be like every week I put on eBay, Hey, here's a, a daredevil number 171 to 180. You know what I mean? Here's some highlights of it. They're all in great shape. It might be that these aren't the most valuable ones, but if you want it, uh, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I'll try not to sell them one by one because that would be madness to do that oh amount God, of mailing, yeah. that amount of grading. There's all kinds of stuff that I'm going to sell raw as opposed to getting everything graded. I'm still working out in my head what's the value of a book that'll make it worth putting, as you might have seen from CGC prices, Look, good Lord, they've gone up. Uh -huh. There's so many things that I have that it's not going to be a particular flat fee. It's going to be some percent of the grade of the book. And if I intend to be able to turn around and sell that, then, well, I've already given CTC 30%. How much am I going to have to give the auctioneer? How much am I going to have right. to insure it? And all that kind of stuff. So I will um, take the eBay and probably not eBay, but Comic Link, Comic Connect, Comic Base. There's any number of dedicated sites. And I'll have to do a little bit more establishing a reputation to say, wow, that L guy was really obsessive about condition. You can kind of trust that this is going to grade high. He just doesn't want to pay for the grading. So it'll work both for and against me. It won't be a known quantity, but people are going to see a little bit of that pig in a poke thing of it could be bad, but man, it could be good. They often post things about, I went to a garage sale and they didn't know what they had. And right. I got this thing for three bucks. That's worth 30,000. And you know, assuming I might play the antiques roadshow card <laughs> and say, <laughs> so that's my intent. And, and in some ways, I know this is an odd thing to say. I don't know that I just want to sell everything because I don't need small money. Right. It's kind of like, how about if I find a college that wants to have a big comic book collection for their uh, um, literature of the 20th and 21st century collection, yeah. and I will endow you, them you, <laughs> and you give know, it for a big charitable donation. You know? This whole time you've been going to the vaults, you should have been like recording uh, videos and stuff that you're doing. You probably could have a video channel showing these books, showing you going through them and have so many people hitting it, you'd probably be making some good money off the ads. I, I wonder, but you know what? And this is like hardly like, wow, this is going to be out in the world. So I don't know why I think this is any secret. I never wanted to get to that place of, hey, everybody, let me show you my diamonds. And then right. why don't you find out what kind of car I drive and follow me to That's home and follow me to my storage locker. And I don't want to be attracting that much attention right. Yeah, that's talking very about true. it like this is a little bit weird, and I'm not that paranoid. Really, one of the things I always liked about having a comic book collection was it wasn't like hit my home, steal the Hope Diamond, and make off with millions of dollars. You have to back a truck up to steal my fortune. Right. You know what I mean? It's really so many, and they're not they're not peeled out to where you could really say if I grab this one box, that's the bulk of his collection. They're still all integrated. Yeah. You know, it, it it's. I well, think you still, that you still could have held on to it to release in a couple of years after you've sold off the best stuff. And too. you're right. What I have done in, a, in an insurance frame of mind was 
every time that I had the table full of whatever that particular box was, you know, from A, uh, B to A is Z or whatever else it might be, I took pictures of various different things. And so you can see all the various different titles. And then you can see the, if you will, the relative height of stacks. You know what I mean? Where, wow, that guy really does have a hundred Thor there, you know, that right, kind of thing. Right. So, so I so, really yeah. might start posting and talking about that. Yes, that's what you, you know, should do. And, do a do a uh, like an episode where okay here's Thor one seventy to two eighteen it was this storyline and you know showing the book showing the covers and that would probably be of interest to a lot of people too. I think so. I, the reason I haven't done it is because I have been trying to dedicate all my time to getting things cataloged. A little bit of I'm sixties. I, I'm, you know, young 60s. I can still lift all these boxes, but I don't want it to be, oh, I threw my back out when I hit, uh, you know, N and I still had O to Z to go. So there's been a certain amount of not, I don't think foolish urgency, but there, I don't know. It's also, it's kind of funny, a little bit of what we talked about. I wear different hats when I do these various different things and going into the efficient processor I don't necessarily want to be the writer then. I want to get as much as I can done here. And maybe I could have uh, come home each night and said, so what did I work on today? And maybe write a little bit something up. But you know what's weird is I have some weird, like, I don't want to have homework. I I <laughs> kind of don't want to have to feel the obligation. And once you start doing that, then it's like, hey, when's the next episode? Exactly. So there's well, a certain amount of, isn't that weird? I don't think I'm lazy. But I don't want to be out of obligation. I suck at obligation. (laughs) But you've got the pictures and you've got some videos. So you could finish all the cataloging and you could do a a video show, a YouTube show two years from now when you're all done and that's all you're working on. And and you could do, and this is really popular right now is doing a a 20 episode thing, a 12 episodes, 30, and you make them all up, but then you just release them once a month. You know, or you release them all at once and people just plow through them. You're really right. I have thought on variations like that, that when I first started the smart life, one of the things I wanted to do was just start to say, I turned out okay. Here's (laughs) all the things I've read and played and listened to and done. And I wanted to share that, that I, this, uh, in, in, in non hubris, but I think pretty objective, um, these are the kinds of things that a smart person needs to do to exercise their smarts. I don't think I'm an intellectual only. I'm a goof, but I've always had, boy, 4-4 four, four rock just isn't enough. Um, you know, easy games are just not enough. I've always had to take it to the next and the third and the fourth and the fifth level. And so my collections are absolutely a, a record of how when I started off with when I was young and where I proceeded to go into and where I really like if I had to give you my top 10 I'd be able to tell you here's why a little bit what we talked about today I love things where they draw on multiple sources and they show that there's really a knowledge and an affection for it, this type thing other times it's it's so innovative nobody else has done anything like this before when you read the first cyberpunk book it's like wow this there's already a lot of science fiction and yet this guy has this ability you know what I mean? To, to portray something that's never been done. So I think that some part of what I have always wanted to do was in my uh, accomplished years, kind of go back and say, this hasn't been a wasted life at all. If you, if you're looking for where you could read and listen and do these same kinds of things, I think that you'd have a good life too. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that uh, so much, if I, I often have, what are my, um, 
salient characteristics when I when it says tell me a little about yourself on a website it's almost always funny smart curious decent big those are my five I don't know where I came up with that but once I had them it's like that really is a very good little the, the diamond big the bit. facets <laughs> of Al's diamond is funny smart curious decent big and I think that that would really inform you know so much of how I'd write about it was I love these comic books because they exercise multiple areas of that. And I watch these movies. And why didn't I watch certain movies? Because they just weren't enough. You know, you try to watch a show and it's like, I'm bored in five minutes. Why would I, why would I keep going with this? I'm insulted in five minutes. I'm angry. I'm sad that this is even getting made in five minutes. You know what I mean? I, I um, This recommendations, as well as recommendations, are would be an important thing. Please don't read this. I actually, I'll save you the trouble. I read all this Tom, the Stephen Donaldson books, you know, the book, the, uh, oh, yeah, the yeah. Um, Thomas Covenant, the unbelievers. And he fooled me twice. I read two of his trilogies and they were like the least satisfying things I've ever read. So it's like, if I can save you 1200 pages times two, let me do that. Don't read <laughs> the power that preserves. Don't read the white gold wheel. Oh my God, they're terrible. They're great <laughs> ideas that went nowhere as compared to some of the other things. His prose doesn't sparkle in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. All so, right. There. Yeah, there we go. I've gone long. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it's good. Okay. <laughs> so I like your idea and it really is. I'm not just like trying to fob you off. I really, I think that's a great idea that some part of when you've lived an okay life, it's nice to share that. It's nice to, the drinking from the fire hose aspect of today is people can go onto the website and they immediately see top hundred lists and they're like top hundred. I don't, wow. I don't know even where to start. I, some part of how you ask things on the net nowadays is, Hey, person that I already kind of value the opinion of, what else do you like? And I love getting those recommendations. If someone has a little bit of my taste or I see how they come to their taste and it has integrity, I love hearing what else they like. It's, it's a much better lead than any bestseller list, any top, top box office list. You know, the box office is not the best by any stretch, as you well know. Right. You know what I mean? So, right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, okay. Have a great week. Yeah, you're same. Take, take care, Stephen. Well, All right. Man. Later. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.